0: this week we talk about small steps and we look at the woman who's been suffering for years with bleeding and we look from the perspective of the woman of Jesus and the disciples and we see what we can learn from each of these perspectives and and what we should do or shouldn't do when it comes to having small steps of faith because really that's all the more we can muster that's all the more we can do we can't Look to those people who take quote unquote big leaps of faith because ultimately those big leaps of faith are only an illusion where they are made up of many tiny steps. I hope you enjoy. We've all been there. You read a story, you hear a story. You read about the man who spent three days in the belly of a fish. You read about this shepherd boy who slings a stone and kills a giant warrior. You read about three friends who stand firm in their faith even though they get plunged into a pit of fire. And you stand back and you say, wow. You hear about people like Mother Teresa who goes and lives with the worst of the worst, the the degenerates and, and the sick and the poor. You read about missionaries. We hear about missionaries giving up everything so they can go live with a culture that's not their own so that they might know. We even have monks who give up years of speaking, committing themselves to silence so that then they can hear the voice of God so that they might be able to better teach others who God is. We hear all these stories, we read all these accounts, and we stand back and we say, wow, what great faith they have to be able to do something like that. I could never do something like that. That's that's a huge leap of faith. How can someone just abandon everything and go off into another country? How can someone just commit themselves to one place to do menial jobs and pray and read in silence? We hear these stories and we stand paralyzed. Paralyzed. Unable to move. Unable to do anything because we say, I'm not one of those people. I, I can't do that. I can't get out of the boat and walk on the storming waves. It's too scary. I don't know if I have enough faith for that. Enough. Enough with that thinking. I want to help us today, and in order to do that, we need to do something. So I want you to hold out your hand. Hold out your hand. Come on. This is interactive. Now, I have a real pen, and if you have one, you can grab it too, but uh, imagine you have a pen in that hand, and that pen is everything you believe that you can't do it's it's everything that says I don't have enough faith. Drop it. Get rid of it. Leave it. We're all good? Clear minds, fresh start, anything's possible? <laughs> the kids might pick it up. Okay. Now we can get started. Now we can make some progress. Because here we now move on. But I'm not going to talk about taking big leaps of faith, okay? Talk about taking little steps. Because our faith is built on small steps. And to help us with this, I would like for us to turn to Mark chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse 25 through 34. And as you turn there, I want to continue to remind you, I, I have repeated this ad nauseum, and I will continue thus. Mark is a fast gospel. He loves to move very quickly, and if something's not worth his time, he's going to skip over it or give you about one sentence to understand what happened and move on. So for Mark to then have a story like this where he dedicates so much time and space, it should make us stop and appreciate it because he's doing it for a very good reason. The other thing I want to remind you of is the whole discussion of cleanliness. Jewish culture, if you are unclean, you are not allowed to worship God. Many things can make you unclean. Touching a dead body. Killing someone. Having blood. All those things can make you unclean. And there's different regulations. Sometimes you're unclean just until the evening. Sometimes you're unclean for seven days. For women, if they give birth to a son, they're unclean for 22 days. Plus seven. If they give birth to a daughter, they're unclean for 44 days. Plus seven. Seven, actually 14, I believe, because uh, it gets doubled again because of it being a female. It, there's a whole complication of when we talk about uncleanliness in the Bible, but there's one thing about it. If you touch something that is unclean, you become unclean. So if someone is unclean and they touch you, you become unclean until evening. And, and so for this culture— The goal was to stay clean so that you could participate in worship with God. So Jesus comes and much of his ministry has been spent around some very unclean people. And he enters in another city, and it is the same thing as always. People come up and say, Can you help me? I I have this sickness, I have I have this problem, I have this problem. And he has a Pharisee come up to him and say, Please come, my daughter is sick. Please come and heal her. She's only 12. Please. And so he begins that journey, that hard journey, because whenever he enters in, he has a crowd of people that surround him. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to see some miracles. They want to believe what he's doing. And so they crowd in, and so he's now having to make his way through a crowd of people to get to this man's house. And this is where we pick up today in Mark chapter 5, Verse 25 through 34, I ask that you please stand for the reading of God's Word today. It says, Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and had come up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, as we continue to look into the book of Mark and we uncover more of these secrets, these small things that lead to something very great, I pray now that you may help us because so much of your word is filled with great stories. And sometimes we fear that we cannot live up to them. Sometimes we fear that we don't have the same kind of faith as our forefathers. Well, Lord, help us today to hear your words to understand what it means to have small steps and how that greatly impacts our faith. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are going to be looking at three perspectives from this story. We're going to obviously be looking at the perspective of the woman, a very great perspective, one that enlightened us a lot. Then we're going to be looking at Jesus and his perspective, And finally, we will wrap up looking at the disciples and and what they saw or didn't see. For the woman, 12 years, 12 years of bleeding. I don't know if you know this, but the human body was not designed to constantly lose blood. It has issues when you do that. Now, it must have been under some sort of control because you can't go 12 years losing in excess blood and and, and still be alive. But it was still severe enough that it was an issue. So physically, this lady must have been weak because your body needs blood to process everything. It provides nutrients and oxygen, vitamins, all the stuff your body needs to stay active. And she was not having enough of it. So she was probably weak. Her mind probably couldn't even function as well to be clear and focused. On top of it, it probably barred her from ever having a husband because, again, spiritually, you don't want to be unclean. And for 12 years, she was unclean. Think about that. Think about the implications spiritually that you have 12 years unclean, unable to worship God. That is as if we said for 12 years you can't come in on Sunday morning. You can't come here for 12 years and worship God. Think about that. The implication spiritually, she must have been hungry. She must have been just downright thirsty to have some sort of fellowship And then she sees this man walk by. And she recognizes him because of all the things that has been going on, all the stories she's been hearing, the whispers. And she says, I still have hope. After 12 years, and as the Bible says, (laughs) suffering greatly, under the physicians, spending all that she had to try to be healed. You would think that emotionally she would have given up. But she didn't. She held on with one last strand of hope and said, I can try it. And so she picks herself up as best as she can, and she marches through the crowd clawing at the backs of all the people who are blocking her from Jesus, and she says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And she does it. And immediately, small steps of faith. Now, she physically (laughs) was probably taking small steps. You know that, Tony. Coming back, you, you, take, you take a lot smaller steps because your body just can't handle it. There's a physical barrier of just saying, I can't go faster than this. And so she claws her way through the crowd just to touch his clothes. She doesn't even believe to have enough faith that she has to talk to him. She just says, I'm just good if I can touch a part of him. I don't need him to profess that I'm clean. I don't need him to to pick me up. I don't need him to do all those other things I heard. I just need to touch him, and that might be enough. And so she goes. Now, some of you might be looking from that same, same perspective today. You might have physical healings that you need. You might have family or friends who desperately need Jesus. Take comfort today because you don't have to move halfway around the world and become a missionary in order for God to hear you and to see how faithful you are and to answer your prayers. You just have to take a small step. Reach out for him call out to him, say, Lord, please help me. This is horrible, and I need help with it, and you're the only one who can fix it. What great news that is. We don't have to join a convent. We don't have to tackle lions and giants. We just have to reach out, to cry out, and say, Lord, help me. Help my son. Help my daughter. Help my my nephew. Help my neighbor. They need you. And I'm powerless to do anything about it. You might not be looking from that perspective today. You might be looking from the perspective of Jesus. He comes along, and again, it's status quo. He enters a city, and... There's a crowd. Okay, well, let's get started. Let, let's let get going. I, I want to I wanna help. I want to teach. I want to train. And so he finds this man. He starts to work his way through, and he's going, and all of a sudden, who touched me? I love how the Bible says, he felt power leave him. The only time that we truly see Jesus not in control of his healing powers, his, his nature of being God, because someone had faith enough that it, it was just already decided. And he stops, and who heals me? Who, who, who touched me? And, and he looks around, and he sees This lady, after she comes forward, trembling, saying, "Uh, what's going to happen now? I touched him and maybe I shouldn't have because I was unclean and now he's unclean and what's going to happen because he might be mad. My daughter. Oh, could you imagine hearing those words? My daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be clean. Jesus was doing his ministry. He was doing exactly what God had called him to do. And he, for the most part, was not doing too many tremendous things. He wasn't doing too many Savior-type things at this point. Later on, he does. When you start healing people and raising them from the dead and you start raising yourself from the dead, that, that's some Savior-type stuff. Okay, so we'll put that in a different category. But for right now, in, in much of what Mark's been doing, he's been teaching going around and healing a few people here and there, but for the most part, he's just been doing some very normal stuff. But people see it, and people are attracted to it, and they say, oh, if I could just catch just a little bit of his faithfulness, that might do something for me. Some of you might be seeing a perspective where you are starting to do your ministry, you are starting to find your way into a place where you can minister to some, and you will begin to notice, if you have not already, people being drawn to you. People starting to say, what is it about you? There's something special. There's something unique. I don't know what it is, but I, I want to be closer to you. I want to touch you. I want to feel what you feel. Can I be, can, can I join you? I had a moment like that when I was a freshman in college. It was the spring semester. I was sitting down to my Hebrew class, um, opened up my laptop, was checking my email and Facebook, and I saw that I had a message. Okay, weird. I had some time before class started, so I checked it, and it was from a person from high school. Now, some of you know, some of you do not. Uh, for me, socially, high school was not awesome. The senior year, I was not there. My first full day of my senior year in high school was the second to the last day, because we had to be there for all the senior graduation stuff. Otherwise, I took one class, and the rest of the time I was taking classes at a community college, because the school was paying for it, because I didn't have any other classes to take at high school. So I figured, if they're going to pay for my classing for college, Sweet, I'll take it. So that's what I did. I wasn't present my entire last year of high school, which was okay for me. But I had a few people that I spent time with, didn't know them too well, but I did spend time with them up until that last year. So it, it had been about a year and a half, to almost two years since I've really talked to this guy. And he sends me a message and he says, Ben, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for what you have done because I went through some hard stuff in my life. And I looked back at how we treated you in high school, how we mocked you, how we made fun of your religion and what you believed, and you never wavered. You are always there, and you are always faithful, and you did stuff that never made sense to me, but it stuck in my mind. And I want to thank you because of your witness, I came to Christ. Because of what you've done and what others did in my life, all of a sudden I see and understand. It took two years for me to understand why some of this was the way it was for me in high school. It took me two years to see the faithfulness of me just doing my ministry and trying to be a faithful witness of Christ before I saw someone who figuratively was reaching out to try to grab my clothes, trying to be healed. And as we continue to push forward to discover our own ministries, our own ways of discipling people in this community— we will begin to notice that. People coming and saying, what is it about you? What makes you special? What makes you speak the way you speak? What makes you do the things you do? How can you be going through this hard time and be so happy? What right do you have? Well, let me tell you about my Savior. And they'll cling to that. Because it's special. It's unique. And all you're doing is taking small steps of faith, Small steps of, well, I know I need to be better at my workplace. Well, I know I need to be more faithful to my family. Well, I know I need to take care of the homeless or the needy or those who can't get enough food. And you do something about it. Now, of course, we have the perspective of the disciples. While I hope and pray We all come to the point of having the perspective of Jesus. And while I know that many of us will have the perspective of this woman, I really hope that we never come to the point where we have the perspective of the disciples. Because here they are trying to usher Jesus along, this lady coming behind them, clawing at their backs, trying to get to Jesus. And then something amazing happens. Jesus stops, says, Who touched me? And they look around. What you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> well you crazy. Look at all the people around you. How can you say who touched you? Which is a fair response, right? You're crowded by people, you're getting pushed and shoved. How many of you been in crowds with lots of people? I remember one time, uh at Acquire the Fire, you're trying to exit and you have about fifty thousand other people trying to exit the stadium and it's it's a mess and it's crowded. You can't tell who's bumping into who. But if you have someone who is pushing their way through a crowd, you can tell because you can't displace people and not have it cause rippling effects like in the water. If you had someone clawing their way, trying to get to the center of the confusion, and they're pushing people out of their way, they're trying to get just, you're going to have to visually see a disturbance of people moving out of the way and getting shoved and pulled back. And the disciples are standing there next to Jesus trying to help them get through the crowd, and they don't see it. They don't perceive it. They're not paying attention because their minds are so focused on the future, on big leaps of faith, that they don't see the small steps coming behind them. and they don't recognize the miracle that took place. I hope that we don't get to that point. I hope that we don't have people clawing at our backs trying to get to Jesus and we don't perceive it enough to help them out, to make way, to back up the crowd and say, here, come. If we're so focused on those big leaps, those those astounding things, all of a sudden, we're going to be so zeroed in on that that we can't see anything else and that's dangerous that's dangerous for who we are because all of a sudden we make christianity out to be this something that is so grand and unless you're mother Teresa, you can't be a christian unless you're some person who does all these great and wonderful things you can't be a true christian because that's all it is if you only focus on those big leaps of faith let me tell you something And anyone who's experienced those big leaps of faith will tell you a whole lot of small steps lumped together. People don't just one day up and decide that they're moving over to Africa to be a missionary. There's a lot of things that took place. There's a lot of small steps that led up to that moment. People don't decide to go off into a a city that they don't know and try to start a church with people they have no clue about just because they decide, oh, that's going to be a great thing to do, they have a lot of small steps leading them up to that. What we see is something big, but what they had to do to get there are a bunch of small steps. So my prayer today is that we might begin to recognize these things in our own lives. Pay attention. Be aware of it. When people are starting to Buddy, up next to you, that annoying coworker that doesn't seem to want to leave you alone. Yeah, he's seeing something in you. The neighbor that always pesters you whenever you step outside, and they just seem to be looking out the window, waiting to see, and then all of a sudden they come out and hey, oh hey neighbor, there's something they're seeing in you. Take that opportunity. And if you are at that point like the woman, that's okay. Reach out. Claw your way through whatever you have to do to say, Lord, help me. Whatever step you take, it's a step. And that's enough. She didn't have to make these big commitments of faith to be healed, she just had to reach out. And touch them. Let's just not perceive things like the disciples, though. Let us be careful of that. Let us not make our, our faith about something big and grand that only a few can accomplish. Because that's not good. It's not healthy. And it puts us in a very dangerous place. Oh God our teacher and guide. You draw us to yourselves and welcome us to be beloved children. Help us to lay aside our envy and selfish ambition that we may walk in your ways of wisdom and understanding as servants of your peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please guide us. Every day may we see how you are working. May you use us. May we take charge of our ministry, our outreach to others, and may we take charge of how we see this. May we not be like the disciples who can't see a miracle happen right in front of their faces, who can't pay attention when someone is clawing at their backs to get to you. Lord, if we are at this point where we are like the woman begging for healing, crying out, Lord, hear our prayers see our small steps of faith and turn to us and say daughter, son your faith has made you well go and be clean and as we continue to do work in this city, in this place help us to see how our small steps are influencing others, drawing the attention of others, and bringing them to desire you. And like your son did, may we let them reach out and touch us so that they might know you and be healed and clean. It is in your name we pray. Amen. I now send you into your community to make Christ like disciples. Go. You are dismissed.